0: to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell
1: If we ain't all free,
2: ain't none of us free.
1: You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. All righty, folks. All right, all right, all right. We're off the radio now. Uh, We're going to hit a couple of stories really quickly before we get to Matt Weaver. He's going to be coming on at 11.20 or so. Uh, so, but uh, we're gonna take a really quick break right here and before we go into overtime, if you do want to call in again one more time, that phone number is 844899 TVLR. You're right back. Oh, I think we're back. We back?
0: Yeah, we're back. We're back. Right. Sorry about that folks.
1: Got rid of those folks on the radio. Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a great overtime lined up for you. We are going to be bringing on Matt Weaver here in a little bit. Uh, But first, Adam's got some stuff stuff prepped. Adam, let's... Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you've kind of been holding it down today. So let's give you a break, and uh, I'll jump in here for a few minutes. Um, I did have a couple segments I wanted to share today and over time, let me swap our camera real quick. So the first thing I wanted to uh, share with y'all today is actually an excerpt from something I happen to be reading, it's not even something I'm reading consistently, I just, Mm -hmm. as I sometimes do uh, with my attention deficits, I was randomly pulling books out of my bookshelf ones that looked interesting and just reading random segments of those books. And uh, there's one that really seems relevant for our show, Why You Should Be a Trade Unionist. Right? Seems like it was written for us. Uh, It was actually written by Lynn McCluskey, a British labor organizer, who wrote this book to demonstrate the ongoing importance of joining and strengthening unions and remind folks how unions are a means for working class people to win justice. So it's in the British context, but uh, certainly applicable here as well. And I'm going to read a very brief excerpt. Trade unions underpin democracy in a world where it is increasingly under threat. In spite of the decades of attacks aimed at undermining our influence and ability to stand up for working people, we stand defiantly uncrushed. We are different groups of workers with different histories, different militancies or none. Trade unions have to represent all those groups in different and new ways. But always the central theme of solidarity, which we can never put a price on, shines through. Workers want to be treated fairly. That's as common as drawing breath. We fight for fairness. Being trade unionists gives us the ability to look the boss in the eye, to look powerful people in the eye, and to stand firm against injustices. It gives us opportunities to be educated, to become future leaders, and to meet so many good people along the way. Unions are as necessary today as they were during and after the Industrial Revolution, and being an active trade unionist shows us how we can affect the lives of those around us. As trade unionists, we must restore hope. To quote from Percy Shelley's The Mask of Anarchy, we must rise like lions, rise to the challenges, and never lose faith in our collective power. Tony Benn told of how his father said to him, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to let it be known. Now I say to my children, there is always more to be done. And above all, have the courage to always be on the side of the angels. Trade unionists care for people. They defend people. It's why being a trade unionist matters. I wanted to just drop that into the discussion today. Uh, I think it's always helpful to kind of Refocus on your purpose and reflect on your purpose and, and remember why it is we do the things that we do, um, why we are trade unions, why that matters to us. Uh, and I really liked what McCluskey had to say there. Ultimately, it's about caring about people, humanitarianism, ultimately.
1: McCluskey t- uh, uh, touched on something that uh, McAlevey also mentions in her books, uh, which is, you know, when he says that. We're different groups of workers with different histories, different militancies or none. Um, trade unions have to represent all those groups in right. different ways and in new ways and that's something that that really makes trade unions unique in civic organizations. Um, McAlevy calls those ca- calls union organizing structure based organizing. Um, I think. As opposed to mobilizing. Because when you think about other civic organizations, you think about organizations like Alan Minsky's The Progressive Democrats of America. Um, That's totally and radically different. Not that it's bad. Not that it's bad. Not that it's not good work or whatever. But um, totally radically different from a union. Because the Progressive Democrats of America, the only people that are ever going to uh, uh, that are all, uh, that, that are going to enter into you know membership with that orga- organization or support for that organization are people that are already on board with the program. On are people that already consider themselves progressive Democrats. You know Harvey J K mentioned that he's a Democratic Socialist. The only people that are ever going to join DSA is people that consider themselves at least Democratic Socialists. You have, and and so it, it, it's a it's a self-selecting group where unions we are selected by the boss we're selected by the employer we don't get to select who we organize with we organize with whoever happens to be around us and so there's going to be old people there's going to be young people there will be actual literal conservatives people that are voting for Trump you know much less a centrist Democrat that we have to organize with right we have to you know we're having to organize all across the thing and and so being able to unify which is, the job of a union which is the 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 only way that a union can function and be powerful and be worth anything is to is that it's able to unify people across these uh, uh across these divides of right. gender and race and politics and all of these things and and that's what makes that unification so uniquely powerful right. um you know, when you're able to, uh, when you come up and you've got this petition that's signed by, you know, 30 different progressive organizations, it's like, well, you know, that's one thing. But you get something that's signed by everybody in a work, in one workplace, you know, no matter what their political uh, beliefs are. And that's what a union is. Uh, that's really powerful. Obviously, it's powerful to, for the boss, and we understand why that is because of the leverage, you know, and the labor power that the workers create. And, and, and that's the only way that the employees. The employer, the business is able to function, but also uh, civically, you know, if you get it, it means something different, I think, and I think it should to to, um, you know, to politicians, it means something different when a union wants something, when a union has their membership backing something. Uh, then it does if you get some other, you know, a progressive party or a progressive organization or or, uh, you know, something else. It, it just means something different. It, it's in. Uh, and, and I think, you know, um, like for like, it, it means something more. If you've got, you know, a similar amount of people in a union versus a similar amount of people in a in a, you know, political organization, it means something more when you get a union actually involved.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And I think there is a distinction there uh, between unions and other organizations such as political parties um, you know labor unions even with some of their traditions even some of their baggage and weaknesses they are working class institutions they belong to workers on on a fundamental level right i mean they're funded mm-hmm. through member dues through some governance structure there is a democratic governance among workers uh running the organization and there's no such relationship with a democratic party Right. At state national level, there's no such operation with most of the other civic organizations that we're talking about and, and political conversations. It's just it's not the same kind of membership mm. structure. It's not mm. the same kind of governance structure. It's different aims It's different accountability levels. And so, um, you know, I was thinking about it earlier in the context of like working within. Right. Mm. Uh, reformers working within a union and reformers working within a party Um, and while there are similarities and i think some tactics and maybe even strategies that can be shared that fundamental difference there is something we have to account for right that unions are unique in in that way Um, and and it's a good thing it's it's a it's a good thing um to have our own institutions and to the extent that our existing labor unions um, do not really belong to the members it's certainly uh one of our biggest challenges that we have to address
1: and I think that that's why you know t- talking about reformers within political parties versus within unions I think that's why we are much we're much more skeptical of reform efforts within like the Democratic party I think you know and, and we're not uh we're not unhappy or or you know the you know we just had alan minsky on progressive democrats of america you know we're fine you know that's fine if, if that's what people want to do but i think that the, uh, the adam and i are are you know not opposed to it but we're more skeptical whereas we're not at all skeptical of of union reformers because because like you know, like you said and, and like i said it, it's unions fundamentally different and and um uh, uh, than than political parties and, well, and fundamentally more worth saving and and more intrinsically valuable, I think.
0: Well, and I would say they kind of have to come before the other, um, you know, a renewed union movement will have working class power reflected in other institutions. Right, um, right. But I would add an asterisk to to your statement about lack of skepticism of reformers. That is until they get elected. Mm. (laughs) In which case, um, I'm going to be just as skeptical of them as as the establishment that challenged, uh, because quite often uh, they're going to run into some some similar issues that the establishment ran into um, and you know, this year's reformers can become next decade's establishment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I meant reform as a, as a strategy, as opposed to individuals. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure.
0: I just wanted to make sure I I clarified that, that it's not like, you know, uh, we're naive that suddenly, you know, you start a uh, rank and file caucus in a union and all of a sudden, you know, everything's going to work out your way or or that, you know, in it, in it of itself is going to like justify your victory or, or grant you victory. Um, but yeah, I think those are some just some important things to consider when it comes to trade unions and, and labor unions and how they relate to other organizations. But, you know, some of the the really unique aspects to them that we need to account for in our strategy.
1: Mm, fascinating comment here in the chat uh, from Free American 2020. Uh, I grew up in the 60s. My dad was a local union president in Alabama. As a young child, I'd hear the racist r- comments that people would make, and I remember my dad fighting for all the union members. As a little kid, I remember asking him, why did the union fight for everyone? He said, we stand together or we all fall. I'll never forget that. And that is um, – it sounds like your dad was a really, really good uh, really good union leader. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly the kind of stuff that, uh, <clears throat> that we want, you know, that uh, –
0: And and that's one of the reasons why unions are perceived as such a threat to the political establishment and to the wealthy, powerful elites in this country and elsewhere. Uh, It's not just a direct economic aspect in terms of, well, they'll have more bargaining power in the workplace. They can extract higher salaries and benefits, et cetera. Obviously, that is a major part of it. But it is also the power of solidarity. To break down Mm -hmm. other divisions and bigotry and oppression, that power of solidarity, um, it's scary to the powers that be. Right. They they're fearful of that and they always have been fearful of that throughout the history of our country. So um, I think that's also something that the comment reflects for me is like that power.
2: Right. The power of a
0: concept and an organization so strong that. In a time when white supremacy was so blatantly in your face
1: mm-hmm.
0: that it could stand strong and defiant against such, you know, bigotry.
1: Well, and that's how that's how bosses and politicians campaigned against unions. Uh, back, you know, you're talking about in the '60s and before, when right. when when unions really kind of came into their own in this country and really became a force. You know, at, at in the '50s and '60s, one in three Americans were union members. Um, when the CIO launched this operation, Dixie, um... You know, that's when you started seeing this proliferation of of right-to-work laws. And one of the things that that, uh, the original pushers of right-to-work were saying uh, that that was important to have right-to-work is so that uh, their white women didn't have to be in unions, uh, didn't have to be mandated to be in unions with with black people. That was specifically one of the things that the people who created right-to-work were fighting for. And that's how, uh, you know, in individual campaigns as well, People were fighting back against uh, against unions by saying, "Oh, you don't, you know, you uh, if you be part of a union, you're going to be part of an organization that also has black people. Even even if the black people aren't even in your union at your work, uh, uh, that union represents black people somewhere else. And oh man, that isn't that so bad, right?" Um, uh,
0: and let's not. Pretend that that doesn't still happen and that these conversations aren't still happening. I mean, it was just a few years ago that UAW was organizing in Canton, Mississippi, right outside of Jackson. And the KKK put out flyers urging people mm. to vote no in the campaign. Well, and I mean, this is Pina- within five years ago. And well, um, yeah,
1: and William Pena in the chat mentions that uh, you know Ron Herrera, like you know, a few years ago, uh, Ron Herrera was a few weeks ago, right? You know, yeah. the president of the of the labor council in Los Angeles talking about like monkeys and stuff. I mean, is, right? Is yeah, president- and
0: and and but you know, like like I was saying, in terms of the the discouragement from unionization race is still definitely in the background. Uh, Sometimes it's in the foreground, but it's it's always at least in the background here in the South in conversations that people are having, uh, particularly behind closed doors, because there has been this long concerted effort to tell white folks that unions are not for them Mm -hmm. while also Mm -hmm. telling black folks that they're not for them either. Right. Right? So, you know, they're that has been a struggle here in the South and will continue to be a struggle here in the South. Uh, but I think when you struggle together and you fight for each other's common interests, just like our, our, uh, listeners, father fighting for everyone so that you don't fall apart. Yeah. I mean, that's a, and I think that the experience of doing that, uh, is one of the most powerful ways to reduce the influence of bigotry in our society. Uh, when folks are shoulder to shoulder for a common struggle and a common issue, it breaks down barriers. And uh, you know, was about two years ago, I guess, on the show, you got, you actually had a, a professor from the University of Washington who went over his research, mm. proving how unionization decreases racism among its membership. Um. Obviously, it didn't work for that creep, Ron Herrera. <laughs> right. but right. you know him aside. Um, yeah, you know it's it's obviously um, you know we have to fight racism with solidarity, and I Absolutely. think uh, unions are one of the best pathways to do that.
1: Speaking of solidarity, have we got uh, Matt Weaver on the line?
0: Let's double check. I don't think so. No, we don't yet. yet. Um, All right. I did have a a quick update on school vouchers. Um, and go ahead and talk about here for a minute uh, while we wait for our next guest. So I uh, did want to update folks on some bad news out of Tennessee last month. A Tennessee judicial panel has upheld the state's school voucher law, which allows public tax dollars to be given to families to pay for private schooling. And um, you can imagine uh Among the Republican establishment in Tennessee, there was a lot of cheering and celebrating about this law being upheld. Mm. It's kind of been tangled in the courts the last few years. Folks, we got to stop the school choice scam. School choice can sound nice in theory. I get that. But in practice, the schools choose the students, not the other way around. Students using vouchers end up with worse education more often than better. The public schools and the students left in them are destabilized and defunded. Existing inequities are actually made worse. But, you know, affluent families do get their private choices for private and religious schools subsidized by the taxpayer. And wealthy donors to these private and religious schools get nice tax write-offs, while the private and religious schools, without the accountability of public schools, can now tap into all this new funding and expanded enrollment, as they so choose, which is very important, as they so choose, some, bam- some families do benefit from vouchers as advertised. I'm not naive to that. I'm sure we can find folks in any state that has tried <laughs> vouchers. You can find some families where it worked out well for them. That doesn't change the fact that most people end up worse off as a result. Most people do, most families do, most students do, and our entire society certainly does. And I know this is frustrating to some people, but the education of children does not easily map on to free market fundamentalism. So-called competition and profit motives, when applied to our kids, do not produce better results, but it does turn them into commodities. As for me, I would prefer we ensure every child has a free, appropriate public education of the highest possible quality, not weaken the public school system by sacrificing the many for the few. Uh, Really looking forward to a conversation we have scheduled later in the month uh, with Dr. Josh Cowan. He is a researcher who used to support vouchers. And he studied them for over 20 years across multiple states. And he uh, had there was a blog post recently from Diane Ravitch entitled Vouchers are a Disaster for Students Who Leave Public Schools. And among other things, Dr. Cowan recently said about his research, quote, there's another data point you need to know up front. Vouchers overwhelmingly fund children who were already in private school without them. In states that have released those numbers, Arizona, New Hampshire, and Wisconsin, we know more than 75% of voucher applicants came from private schools. Mm. So I really recommend you check out Dr. Cowan's work. Uh, He had an op-ed published on the Hetchinger Report this summer that was really, really good. Uh, You can find it in that Diane Ravitch blog piece highlighting his research. And uh, as I mentioned, we're excited to have them scheduled to come on the show later this month. So if you have any questions about private school vouchers, send them our way.
1: That's really fascinating. Um, you know, and, and you don't see that a whole lot. It's somebody who like used to support something and then they actually studied it and they're like, oh, you know what? No, this is actually really, really bad.
0: <laughs> right. And Diane Ravitch is the same way. I mean, she was undersecretary of education under George W. Bush. She was a wow. big fan of No Child Left Behind. She was one of its architects. Uh, wow. And then she kind of saw um, the monster they had created. Wow. So we do have, uh, I do believe we have our brother from the railroads on the line here. Um, I think Matt was trying to get in the Zoom. He may already be in there, Zoom. Can you hear me? Yes! I can,
1: I can, yeah, so, uh, All appreciate right. you coming on. Now we've got, uh, Matt Weaver. He is a, Member of the Brotherhood of Maintenance and Way Employees, which is a Teamster affiliate, a member of Railroad Workers United, which is an interunion cross craft solidarity caucus of railroad workers. Uh, Matt, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your guys' attention. Uh, Rail Labor
2: really needs our voice to get out there. It is, it, it's Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, we uh, build and maintain America's track, bridges, and buildings uh, throughout the country. All 48 states. Uh, we're not in Hawaii and Alaska that I know of.
1: Mm. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, and, and we'll we'll get into some of the, the issues that y'all are facing, but the fact that you're here this morning is actually indicative of some of the problems that y'all have on the rails because we had previously scheduled Paul Lindsay, who had been on the show, and not that not to say anything bad about you, Matt. I'm sure that I'm sure that this is going to go great. We talked we talked a little bit this morning, <laughs> had a great conversation, uh, but we had previously scheduled Paul Lindsay, and I call him at about nine o'clock this morning, and he said fifteen minutes ago I got called in. I have to be at work in an hour and a half, and you know the it that's just that's. Uh, crazy to me that you're the 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 idea that your entire life your or most of your life you're 24 7 you're always potentially an hour and a half away from being called into work
2: that is most definitely the case for my brothers and sisters in transportation the engineers and conductors um are on call they're they're their extra boards are smaller. Their time off is less predictable. Um, you know, I I've been spoiled as maintenance way. I've worked four tens for a majority of my career, so mm-hmm. I've been able to raise uh, my, raise my family, and coach my kids' soccer, basketball, t-ball, baseball teams. I I've been pretty spoiled in this scenario, and that's the attendance policy, which is really very frustrating for all crafts, twelve all right. unions and the railroads, but transportation. It's really punitive on their way of life. Their their quality of life is very tradition, tremendously affected by these um, callous and tennis policies.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you know, Matt, let's r- just recap what has happened for us in the last week with Biden signing this rail deal. Um, you know what, what what all what led up to that, and what does that mean? For y'all um, that are going to be working under this contract now, well,
2: we got the Presidential Emergency Board recommendation, and then that was just a recommendation. But it was it was better for maintenance away than any other craft because we got our craft specific ass. We wanted in better better um, away from home expenses, pretty um, on that kind of stuff, and we're the only craft that got that. Um, but we, maintenance of way, voted it down uh, with the signal department and the, um, oh, it was the fireman oilers and the um, smart TD, which is the conductors, smart transportation. Um, so then we were back at the bargaining table and um, Biden called on Congress to impose not the PEB but those tentative agreements that our for crafts voted down. Mm. Um, so the house went about it um, presented the, you know, they voted to impose, which is not really democracy. If we voted, no, how does the, the house and the Senate impose an agreement, but the house passed the seven sick days, seven paid sick days, you know, and, and in this time of, pandemic and quarantine you know i have a i have a letter in my my lunchbox to give to the police if i get pulled mm. over in quarantine conditions that i'm allowed to go to work because moving freight in, in america is essential so i went right. i was essential employee and then we went from essential to expendable at the bargaining table right and um sick day it's it's ridiculous we don't have a any paid sick days? It's absurd.
1: That is that is ridiculous. And you mentioned that that you know, um, it is it's anti-democracy to force y'all to work under a contract that you voted against. And you know, here we're 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 having the Democratic Party the all democracies on the ballot. Democracies on the ballot. We're the party of democracy. We're the part. You know, uh, they're hammering us with this messages, which which is not you know. Not unreasonable because obviously the Republican Party has really given up the idea of, you know, majoritarian rule. And and we understand that, and that's, you know, the messaging is not bad in and of itself. But how how do you message that and then directly go against the will of these rail workers? Well, if you look at the vote count,
2: um in general, the Democrats leaned far more in favor of us getting those sick days than the Republicans. Mm-hmm. A couple of Republicans jumped on board, but it seemed like that was grandstanding or maybe even right. <laughs> pandering for votes. <laughs> right. Um. But you know, so I mean, well, we saw John John right Cornyn.
1: <laughs> we saw John Cornyn come yeah. in and say that he was going to do it, and then I guess he got a call from one of y'all's bosses and decided <laughs> not to. I don't know.
2: <laughs> it's it's a wonderful thing. I mean, there is some influence there, but that is because. I don't know the exact number, but do we move, if it comes to like move up to 70% of all freight, you know, parts of all freight that moves in the country, ships by rail, you know, it's mm-hmm. that's a big, that's a big footprint. And, um, you know, solidarity, cross craft solidarity is our key. And, um, we really don't have that a whole lot in my career a little better now. And I, you know, I, I believe railroad workers, United railroad um, Help me breathe new life into cross craft solidarity. You know, I, I was at the National Labor College, the George Meany Center in D.C. for hazmat derailment training, like train the trainer and teach police departments and fire departments to move people away from you know how to read MSDS DS sheets and that kind of stuff. That's mm-hmm. where I really got my first bite of cross craft solidarity. But Railroad Workers United has really stepped up, and 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 it's important that we work together because real real labor mm-hmm. is. Is, is is there's there's a great divide in much of real labor
1: absolutely yeah well and and so you know you you mentioned that the 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 split between the republicans and democrats and i and i do think and and you know i think it's important to understand that and to understand that you know it's not like there aren't differences but how do you think it is that the unions ought to relate to democrats in light of this but also i mean frankly in light of the last 40 years of you know democrats relationship with labor you yeah. know th- it's not it's yep. not like this is the first time that we've been screwed over by democrats and yet we still continue we you know hundreds of millions of dollars from you know, working people from our PACs, and which I do want to ensure that I stress every time I talk about union political contributions, I do want to make sure that people understand that it's not coming from dues, it's coming from PAC dollars, which union members voluntarily contribute to on top of their dues, you know, and so it's like union members understand that that's what the money is going to, generally speaking, but but still, you know, it is still Amen, brother. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and, and that's something that I, that I do try to be very careful of because there are a lot of folks that say, you know oh union dues money, you have to pay for politics if you join a union and that's just that's not true and you know we want to do, do a little all, bit of a, a, a little bit of myth busting. but you know um, it still it's still it is still our money, even though I'm you know we voluntarily contribute to our PACs and stuff. Is it worth looking at changing strategy? And I mentioned this to you this morning. Warnock won in Georgia. I'm glad he won in Georgia. Very happy he gla- he won in Georgia. I would have voted for him if I was in Georgia. Uh but also it felt a little bit weird seeing the machinist union, for example, who is, you know, who's involved in this rail dispute, talking about how many doors their members are knocking for, working class champion, you know. Uh, uh, Raphael Warnock and, and how much of their PAC money presumably went to, you know, sending out mailers and advertisements and stuff like that and it, and it just, it felt weird because he's not, you know, he's not been on the forefront of this issue he didn't even make the time to go vote he was at home campaigning, he, he didn't, didn't even vote he didn't vote, he yeah. didn't
2: vote and I was all for him, I made calls for him too mm-hmm. and he didn't vote and you're like so frustrated with that kind of Public servant, quote unquote, that who who did he serve by not making a vote? Who right. who does Manchin serve in the midst of coal country when he's declared a yeah. Democrat, but he votes against labor a lot of the time? He he mm-hmm. it's 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 very frustrating. I mean, I believe that Citizens United and the McCutcheon Supreme Court de- decisions have corrupted our republic and we've turned we've turned to politicians serving their their campaign financiers and letting lobbyists write the laws what the hell is that mm.
0: yeah i mean it's an oligarchy in so many ways i, I think
2: amen we've, we've heard people warn about it
0: <laughs> you know uh <laughs> yeah. people warn it about it but we're living in it we've we are already experiencing it i mean in case the metaphors and the connections to the gilded age couldn't be clear enough we're talking about a railroad huh. labor dispute in to close 2022 right uh, i i mean that seems really appropriate considering the gilded age level of inequality uh and extreme greed and corruption that we're experiencing in this country sorry i didn't mean to get on my soapbox Eight. and and jump no, in there No, <laughs> you
2: you you're pre- you're preaching to the choir i mean I, I tell guys all the time because I used to be uh, a bit greedy and work all the overtime I could when I was on a backhoe on the track work. Um, mm-hmm. and I had a couple of good years of big overtime, but I didn't let I never let that get in the way of raising my my family. And I tell all mm-hmm. people all the time, you know, we work to live, not live to work. And you've got to keep that in mind. And you should be re- rewarded for hard work. And mm-hmm. it seems like the working class. has been shit on for a couple generations. It's like, come on, people, stick together. Solidarity is the key to our
1: success. And so so what do you what what do you think about that, about, you know, what uh, should unions be looking at at changing our our strategy with with respect to, to Democrats and how we operate in elections?
2: I think it yeah, I think it should go on a political candidate one by one scenario. I mean, Senator Rob Portman in Ohio, who is retiring, um, unfortunately, um, because JD fans got that seat, but um, Senator Portman wrote the Reef Act, and that was the act to eliminate the sequester of railroad retirement, sick pay, and unemployment. Now, it got rolled into the pandemic, but anything in the pandemic bills is eliminated once the pandemic is declared over. Mm. So um portman was a great ally for real labor in that and i've i found myself working with both republicans and democrats in ohio because i believe they understand serving the working class serving their constituents but boy ohio is awfully red and it's very Mm. depressing Mm. for me
1: and so you know looking forward what can biden do now because I mean, I mean the, fight the, days, order. Yeah, the fight for sick days—yeah, the fight for sick days—it's not over yet, right? Correct. And he can write an executive order,
2: or Congress can uh, work on a bill to um, give us sick days. Um, I mean, Biden promised sick days for every working American. That mm-hmm. was his campaign. Um, was, was that pandering for votes? You know, I, I, I almost forgot about I that. I'm that, glad you reminded us. Yeah. yeah. So I think that he's done well and I, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that he was the better choice for me to vote for, for president. Um, But it's time to serve the people. There's, There's far more working class in this country than there are oligarchs.
1: Right, right. And, and so and, and the executive order that, that you mentioned it's actually all he would actually have to do is amend an executive order that Obama wrote. Obama wrote an executive order back in 2014, 2015 saying that all federal contractors have to give their employees minimum wage or they have to give them seven days of paid sick leave. And he specifically exactly. he specifically exempted rail uh, carriers from that railroad companies from that uh, because rail companies are obviously federal oh, contractors and yet they don't have to abide by that because obama exempted them from that executive order and so all biden would have to do is is write that wrong uh from the obama administration and say that just like every single other federal contractor rail companies have to at minimum provide seven paid sick days and, sick days. and he could do that at, at a stroke of a pen
2: absolutely brother and that's the whole part about pandemic and them saying that we were federal contractors Mm -hmm. and we had to, to uh, abide, you know, be, be available and, you know, the rail labor has been cut by 30% in the last eight years, seven years because of precision scheduled railroading, Hunter Harrison's business model of do more with less, Mm. And and it's really rail labor is suffering because of this, and they're suffering as well because of that contract being imposed on us. I, how how can we imagine railroads coming to the table and bargaining in good faith if they know that the politicians are just going to give them what they want every time now?
0: Mm. Yeah, I was I was going to uh, emphasize that that the precedent it sets is so you know. Mm-hmm poisonous to negotiation and uh the wow. other thing i was going to say is that yes a strike may have been averted aka they are imposing this contract undemocratically but um that doesn't change the the conditions there which i i would anticipate a lot of resignations and a lot of retirements mm-hmm. i'm sure anybody who who is close to retirement is counting down the days uh, folks who aren't don't have a lot of time in the system yet may be trying to get out. Uh, I mean, are you sensing there could be a, a lot of turnover, even more than, than you've already experienced?
2: I predict that um, after the back che- paychecks are deposited in Rail Labor's checking accounts, there's going to be a lot of people looking for new for a new career mm-hmm. i i can't say resignations but i can i predict they'll be looking for options in toledo right we've got refineries uh there's transportation there's linemen there's there's a lot of jobs in mm. our area and mm-hmm. all around the country jobs are getting better for the working class um and it used to be people were really looking to get hired by the railroad
1: not so much anymore Mm-hmm. right right and you know, some something else that I wanted to ask about. You know, the, the, the politics is that there has been a lot of folks online. It it seems like that have, that have wanted to take this opportunity to say that. Um, you know the the squad, quote unquote, AOC, Corey Bush, Jamal Bowman. Uh, that they are now, <clears throat> they're now class traitors and they're strike breakers and they're you know uh, just as bad as every other as in any other Democrat Democrat because of, because of their vote. Um, and and they're saying that that people who are hesitant to take that stance, people like Jonah Furman. Uh, at Labor Notes are uh, carrying water for the establishment is words that I've heard, of, which is the first time that I've heard those words <laughs> ascribed to Jonah Furman. Oh. And and so, you no know, doubt. <laughs> so, it, you know, how much how how much blame do you think that that, you know, folks like AOC and, and Jamal Bowman deserve for uh, for I, you know, they it, and and in fairness to the people who are making this argument, you know, they did vote for the tentative agreement that did not include sick days, and then they voted for the second thing that included sick days, but the second thing ended up not passing. And A- so,
0: as we all could have easily right, predicted, when they decided it, to make it two things, right? right I mean, right. that was the whole point.
1: Yes, and it, it wasn't. It wasn't Amen. unpredictable. And so, you know, the. Uh, um <laughs> and, and, and so now, you know, Bashkar Sankara, who is who's the editor or editor in chief of, of Jacobin, you know, he said that whatever things of the moment, uh, you know, uh, strategies of the moment or, or whatever, you know, AOC's name is going to be a yes on this strike making tentative agreement. And so, you know, how much how much blame do you think that, that you know, folks like her at deserve and, and how ought we look at them in, in light of that vote, you think?
2: I, I can't condemn them because I can understand the need for um, commerce to flow in America. I can be frustrated that they're not doing more to address those specific issues that we have that would make quality of life better for all of the working class, not just real labor, not just organized workers. Um, if they want to serve their constituents let's do the right thing and give paid sick days a less restrictive attendance policy let's let's have let's have um the regulators regulate the corporations for the good of society i know people might be thinking that sounds kind of socialistic but Let's serve the people, damn it. Let I want right. my unborn grandkids to have a better life than I do. And I think I've heck, I got a pretty good life.
0: I'm yep. with you. I'm with you. That's that's it, it's not a lot to ask that we try to live up to those lofty words in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence that we try to actually be we the people uh, and the public servants are actually supposed to be servants to the public. It's not that yes. radical, yes. but it you know but because it has not been that way for so long, because of decades after decades of, of working class people just taking it on the chin, it, it does seem radical to even suggest it. That what if you know what if we actually had public servants? Wow, I mean that's hmm. most of us <laughs> that will never experience that, right? Or at least we haven't yet. Most of us haven't. So I, I'm picking up what you're putting down.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I I'm... find. Oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. no, no. You go ahead. I
2: find that if if you're the squeaky wheel, you be more demanding. I mean, Mm. I had I, i i've had great fortune with talking to people. I testified in Columbus for the House Transportation Committee about two man crew. I mean, people who have a just cause should not be muffled by concerns of criticism give it to me i'll 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 take what you have to say and we'll work with it but be noisy rattle the cage because damn it the working class has got to step up
1: Mm. and and i think that that you know for me the it's definite my understanding is that there there have been that they received some you know some inclination from uh, the the BMWE United. Are you are you aware of that that caucus in BMWE?
2: I I probably am, but that really doesn't sound so familiar to me. I, I don't think that I am a a part of that. Um, but I you know I October sixth I bumped back to my tools. I, I bumped a carpenter foreman job. Um, I had been a national division. Uh, I'd been the director of internal organizing. Um, for about eight years and it's traveling oh, okay. the country and building up info. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, was the best job in the world for a minute, but it was right, only supposed right. to be one or two years. So it yeah. must've been doing something right.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I think that I had heard, Wait, go some, ahead. yeah, well, I just, I think that I had heard something that there was, there was some rank and file caucus in the BMW. E. I think maybe Ross Gruders was involved in it in, in, um, in recommending that that Jamal Bowman and and these other folks vote yes yes because for some reason they felt like the 7 days was contingent on their first vote being yes and i'm not i it, but but it's 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 just it's difficult definitely difficult for me to 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 understand why they would vote yes on on that TA without that that didn't include the 7 days uh you know i i don't know that i'm i'm willing to totally you know, throw them out. Uh, but, but it really, really seems like, man, that was a bad vote. <laughs> I agree. And that's, so I don't believe it was BMW, um,
2: BMW United because Gruders is not maintenance away, but um, gotcha. it, it was part of the working class and, and it may have been uh, part of RWU or, or something, but there's so many f- factions out there that it's hard to keep track of sometimes. But, but yeah. I agree entirely that if you're going to force a a tentative agreement on us that has been voted down. Um, And we all knew was, well, you know, we had thousands of calls to Congress about the sick days. They knew the routine. They knew that we did not have sick days. And, you know, I have a a story of Norfolk, Southern Roanoke, Virginia. One guy coming in sick, not really known that he had COVID, but he came in sick um, because he had no sick days. He had no vacation left, no time off. Um, and, uh, everybody on the section team, the, the, the local yard crews, uh, was quarantined or sick and they had to bring in, bring in production gangs, you know, big tie gangs and that kind of stuff to do section work, to do regular yard maintenance. You know, that's, that's a fault of management, not having, uh, ability to go off sick or to, right. you know, mm-hmm. fill, fill the holes.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So here, here's a question then, and, and this is you know this is something that's come up you know we've been talking about the Democrats and their you know re- relative failure, but um, you know it, it's important to or or it, it's worth asking the question you know on the other hand is Trump coming to save the rail workers you know I, I I've heard some people say that Trump would have never signed this deal um you know what what is uh, what what do you make of, of arguments like that 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 oh you know we should now that <clears throat> the democrats have have failed us we should just all be republicans now
2: we ratified an agreement under the trump administration that was far worse than this what we're getting now the cba mm-hmm. we're getting imposed on us now um and i don't see any inkling of trump saying anything that would have done anything to have us fare better than where Biden is now. You know, Biden is definitely the better option for president for the working class than Trump was. I feel there's a, you know, I don't know if you want to, how do you want to call it? You know, why, why do working class vote for Trump? I think they're frustrated with both parties and Trump was kind of a breath of fresh air and he was a little bit rude and, you know, it, He's not a politician, but that doesn't mean he's better for us. Right. does you know? It doesn't serve the the nature of the working class and their families.
1: And I think that's a, that's worth underscoring that that you know that this happened. This this whole thing happened under Trump, and and there was no that there was you know it, it didn't get this far because I don't think that workers felt like they had as much leverage as they do now. But but there was no. You know, there was nothing from the Trump administration during that time. And and as far as I can tell, you know, there's been nothing from Trump during this, you know, condemning Biden for for anything. You know, he hasn't come out on on truth social and and you know, truth doubt like, oh, yeah, you know, the workers deserve seven pays of sick days. And I, right. wait. I no, mean, you
0: know. he, he had four years to <laughs> sign that executive order. And right. he never did it.
2: Amen. Absolutely. So, I mean, people have a lot of could have, would have, should have. But that's just
1: <laughs> talk.
2: That's just hearsay. Right. Right.
1: And and but, you know, like you said, there are there are some rail workers that are they are planning to do that. Uh, they're, they're planning to vote Republican, despite the Democrats, because they don't feel like there are any other options. And so to what extent do you feel like the the, the rail unions, the the unions leadership and, and you know, organizations like the AFL-CIO, um, to what extent are are we and they to blame for that kind of narrow vision of, of how to make change? You know, like the why why do they think that the answer to this issue of democrats are screwing over us so we're going to go vote republican republicans are screwing us over so we're going to vote democrat why is that why is the, the the answer always to switch teams as opposed to like building the union
2: it's so frustrating because of the duopoly in america where's what other options do we have you know in rail industry especially so everything almost everything you do every day has politics involved in it. maybe not where you go mm-hmm. to lunch but we're not really allowed to go to lunch anymore so <laughs> <laughs> every part of your job is affected by political decisions rules and regulations
0: yeah that, that's that's 100 percent true i used to work in a public school setting and that was something I, I told my co-workers there as well i mean your salary, your benefits, your working conditions, if it's connected to government or if it's connected to tax dollars, those are political decisions. And, uh, you know, yeah, you, you don't know. have a choice yeah. but to but to be involved in politics because it's involved in you, uh, you know, whether whether you're playing along or not, it's yeah. it's impacting you.
2: Yeah. And, and, and you're a fool if you want to just say nothing about it, because that that. Takes away any leverage you have at all. It's like not voting because you're mad. It's like you vote when you're mad. Come on, right?
1: Well, I, so I
2: do like to shout out to the teachers and nurses. They they have been uh, exponentially. Um, it's amazing how much action the teachers and teachers and nurses are have going on. They're they're essential and and they realize it. They've been they've been uh, oh ignored for too long. So I'm, I'm very excited about nurses and teachers stepping up and and being active.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I,
0: I think the key is, is like you mentioned earlier, the power of solidarity and the more that we have each other's back, uh, you know, when our brothers on the rail need help, we need to have their back and and they'll back us up when it's, you know, teachers in the classroom or nurses in the hospital or, or what have you. Uh, that's really what it's about. And, I will say as disappointing as this whole fiasco has been on, on so many levels, the way it's, you know, shake the way it's shaken out. The one thing I, I will say that has been positive is the amount of solidarity I have seen from people uh, on behalf of rail workers. I've seen a lot of people who are yes. who are who don't know anyone who works on the railroads personally. They're not, you know, personally impacted per se. Uh, but have been very uh, vocal about the rights of rail workers and about the needs of rail workers. And so I think that is something that's promising. And if there's anything good that came out of all this crap, I, I hope there were some good relationships and connections that were made and uh, and some of that solidarity can be channeled moving forward.
1: Yep.
2: And, and I, I take that back to rail labor and say, let's work on this next round of bargaining, having one bargaining coalition with signatory status that no one agrees to a contract, unless we all agree on a contract, then you'll build power Mm -hmm. with solidarity.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I I definitely think there's going to be a lot of lessons learned um, from this whole Mm -hmm. situation. And um, I think a lot of, there's a lot of ideas probably circulating uh, for the next contract, um it's already time to be thinking about the next contract and so yeah I, I hope that um those of you who have been involved in this struggle can can push forward some some progress on this um both inside reunions and, and outside in the community as
2: well most yep. definitely i mean we've uh, when we did the last bargaining round we followed the florida juice train up the whole um coast miami to jersey and we had other Other entities, they're with us, you know, um, Mm. you know, Habitat for Humanity, things like that. We talked with each other and that those kind of interconnectivities and communications and networking are Mm. are powerful. Um, It's it's kind of amazing. I mean, let's 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 make people realize it's it's class class conflict in this nation that's tearing us apart. Divide and conquer is strong and we're we're falling for it every time.
0: Yeah. And, and we definitely saw them try to do a lot of that in the media with real workers. I mean, uh, I had a couple of people tell me, "Do you know how much they make <laughs> every, uh, you know, uh, one of my family members said, you know, every article I've read about this makes a point to tell, my, tell me how much uh, their mm-hmm. salary is. They may not mention all kinds of other things in there. but right. it, And so we definitely saw that with this struggle and we're going to keep seeing it every time workers are in struggle. Uh, the media and the powers that be are going to try to divide us and and pit us against each other and so it's just it's something we have to be aware of and it's something we have to constantly do battle with because it's coming whether we want it to or not
1: yeah and, and Matt, we need re-
2: to go ahead I'm sorry
1: oh no no you go ahead
2: we we need to acknowledge that across the board and be prepared for that you know that's got to be um the first thing we think of is that what the adversary is going to be up to so we can prepare for that battle
1: right matt weaver is a member of the brotherhood of maintenance of way employees a division of the teamsters uh and a member of the railroad workers united matt you have anything else uh you wanted to make sure you know anything else you you reckon folks ought to know before we let you go
2: i've got a couple details on the the cost of those sick days I was told a couple of weeks ago that all of the stock buybacks up to October of uh, this year would have paid for you know so less than two percent of those stock buybacks would have paid for those seven sick days for all of rail labor wow. um, for one year. Wow. Uh, the the profit margins less than one percent of the profit margins for any year that we've seen uh, would pay for those sick days, and then last week I saw that. Warren Buffett, the owner, owner alone of BNSF, made enough in one day to pay for all of those sick days for two full years for all of rail labor. So it's, this is this is not a big ask. Right. But right. when it's, it's, it's all about profit over people and shareholders first. And that's very frustrating. Yeah.
0: Well, we, we're, we're behind you and we appreciate all you're doing and definitely appreciate you coming on the show and,
2: and being willing to spend time with us and chat about it.
1: Yep. Appreciate it, man. Thanks
2: so much for your time. If there's more info you need, feel free to send me a text, send me a link. I'd like to give a shout out to the AFL-CIO Transportation Trades Division that was able to bring all of real labor together under one umbrella and one voice. That was very powerful. Um and I'd like to see them be very involved in our next round of bargaining as well.
1: All right. Thanks Matt. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank,
2: Thank you guys. Have a great week. All right. Appreciate You yep, too. too.
1: Take care. Adam, before we you know, uh, head, head off of the the rail labor issue, I think that I uh, uh, we there there's a couple of there's a couple of clips that, that maybe we'll play if I can pull them next week because they and they'll be a bit old by next week but but you know it, it's never you know I uh, I don't think it'll be too bad because they're just so crazy but before we go go off of the real labor issue today <clears throat> you know what what is your thought what what do you think about uh you know what happened with with AOC and all them voting on uh voting yes yes on in the house um, you know I mean I, I think that I both of us I, I think are probably maybe maybe more skeptical of Democrats than 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 some but I think that you may even be more skeptical than me so i, I so I, I wanted to make sure that you had a, you had a chance you know especially you know if we put this out as a clip I, I wanted to make sure that your view was represented there as well what what you know at and, and I still I really still don't know how to make it don't know what to make of it exactly but but I mean what what is your general response to to the votes that, that were taken there I mean I think it's despicable um, but not at all surprising
0: and you know what does that mean I guess is, is the bigger issue right uh, I I find it despicable uh, that they would have voted to impose a contract Um and particularly when they had to see the writing on the wall, I mean, if some jackass like me in Alabama could figure out exactly what they were doing with the two Bills, um, surely they they knew what was happening there in, in the parliamentary games that were being played. Um, so that's how I feel about it. I, I, I found it to be a, a real despicable thing. I in terms of well, what do we do about it moving forward, I mean, what do you mean? There, she's not my representative.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, AOC is not. Jamal Bowman is not my representative. Uh, my representatives never even pretended right. to give a damn. Right. Um, if I lived in their district, I would certainly be letting them know how I felt about it. Um Especially if I was someone who had campaigned for these people or or donated to these people. Um, Do you just write them off wholesale? I mean, no more than you already should have written them off, frankly, because bourgeois politicians are going to do what they do. Uh, The electoral political system is what it is. And we're going to lose more than we win in that arena because it's not meant for us. That's not an arena for working class people. Um, It is for capital to adjudicate its conflicts, to maintain (laughs) the society Mm -hmm. uh, operational. I mean, maintain our society is operational. And and so I I guess the last thing I'll just say about it is I think people spend way too much time thinking about that. Mm. Um, You know, is AOC bad now or was she already a sellout or, you know, well, if we call her sell out, what does that mean? I, I mean, I think a lot of it's just bullshit. <clears throat> it's just it, – it's not a lot different than um, when I'm shooting the bull about how the quarterback played on Sunday <sighs> and how the coach should have ran the ball a few more times. And I didn't mm-hmm. really care for that defensive coordinator. He, he called the prevent defense a little bit too much. Um I think it gets into that kind of commentary where, okay, you're basically we're just we're just bullshit here. We're not we're just we're just talking, just like we're talking sports or entertainment. It's not really connected to anything. Now, if you're a member of DSA, um, I think you have some real things to to grapple with if you're up in New York and in those chapters that are endorsing these people as as part of their organization. That is an issue that they have to address and. Again, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not there. Um, how would I operate if I were in that meeting in New York or whatever? I don't know. Uh, I feel like I would need to hear some answers, uh, certainly mm-hmm. for, for, for me to consider that person to still be on board with the organization. But that is the danger in linking yourself to elected politicians. No mm-hmm. matter how great they may seem on certain levels or at certain days, Uh, You know, I'm a big fan of Bernie Sanders. I I gave probably too much money to Bernie Sanders throughout his two runs for president. But I don't agree with everything Bernie Sanders does or says. Uh, And in fact, there are certain areas where we have some pretty strong disagreements. Mm. And um, you can still appreciate. I I still appreciate what the man has done for politics. I'm glad he is there uh, as one of the few voices who half ass tries to, to fight for working people. So, you know, I can appreciate just like Jamal Bowman has a bill called the Green New Deal for Green New Deal for schools, for public schools. It's, man, it's fantastic. It is fantastic. Doesn't mean I, I care about uh, I care for Jamal Bowman's positions on everything else, though. So I think you take what you can take. You never build cults of personality or fandoms around politicians. Mm theoretically they're supposed to be public servants but we know right. that's not what they are um, they're agents inside of a state a state that is meant to uphold capitalism uh, sometimes we as working people can exert power and influence inside that arena sometimes it's reflected in you know more progressive candidates and, and politicians that get elected to that arena but um, I think I'm, there's just there's just too much noise sometimes yeah. about
1: it I wanted to. There were a, a couple things that you wanted to pull out, and I wanted to underscore, and and I think that 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 would be more or less the official position of of the show, which would you know, and which I think would be that there's a lot of talk about it, probably too much talk about it, um, and the, you know, in in the same way that really left political people might would say normies. Will just switch from Republican to Democrat based on you know who screwed them over mm. last. People online left on, in the online left, you know whatever that means. It seems like a lot of times they can kind of do similar things. They'll they'll say okay, well now I'm totally writing this person off, or now I'm totally all in for this person because right. of the last thing that they did. Um, and that maybe not maybe is not the best way to approach politics. But the the important thing is and, and like you said, we're not in her district and we're not, you know, I think uh, you know, we're we're not super active in, in DSA and, and I'm not a member of DSA and we're not in New York DSA. And so, you know, those those are conversations that are gonna have to happen there. But the the important thing to underscore is to remember that to build independent working class power, build your union, because what they say their their reasoning for this is that one the leadership of these unions told them to vote yes yes and they also say which after that conversation with Matt I'm wondering what the veracity of it is they also say that there is a rank and file caucus in the BMWE that was advocating yes yes and um and and that's what their th- that's their defense is they're like well you know look the workers told me to do this and so the way people to, are gonna make
0: mistakes right. in parliamentary uh, arenas, but the we way should to, we should be willing to accept that. I'm not saying it right, necessarily right, right. in this case, but I mean it's not unheard of that you know a vote does not necessarily reflect someone's true values on something if there was a misunderstanding such as what they're alleging here.
1: but there is but the way to fix that, is to have a really strong and representative and militant working class, uh, you know, caucus in these unions, militant working class unions that are driven by the rank and file that will be standing up loudly and saying, you know, for like, for example, there should have, you know, it seems to me that there should have been like, Obviously, there, there should have been some union out there obvious, saying, obviously, you don't vote yes if it doesn't include sick leave. But right. th- that just wasn't the case. And you know for all of the things on Twitter or whatever, it just was not the case that we had a representative voice from the people affected telling these people not to vote for it. Right? And, and so the way to fix that so that they don't, so, you know, if we want to, if, if we're of the mind that, that this was just a fig leaf and that really they're listening to bosses or whatever, I mean, maybe, maybe that was the case. Maybe it's not, but the way to not give them that fig leaf and actually really put some pressure on them is not to say, uh, you know, not to put all of your eggs in the election basket to say that, you know, I'm going to, you know, this, this primary challenger to AOC, which I'm not, not to say that she shouldn't have a primary challenger, but just to say that Building your union is gonna be the thing, right? Building your union is gonna be the thing. Um, building independent working class organizations that can hold people accountable. Um, and and the you know the conversations around this or that personality is is kind of second order. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the goal that I have, um, and I think most of the folks listening would agree with, is that we build a working class movement that is powerful enough to exert influence in elections. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exert influence in the legislative sense. Yes. But also do more than that above and beyond. Right. Um, I think that would be ultimately what we're trying to get to uh, a movement on the level of working class movements of the 60s and of the 30s and of the populists around the turn of the century um, who were able to extract concessions from capital and from the state. In numerous different ways. Yeah. Um, it looked different depending on the era, depending on the issue, but um, all that's to say, be, be mindful of how much, I think, uh, time and energy you really spend on it and uh, what does it relate to the material world? And I mean, me, if I decide I'm going to cancel AOC, okay, right, who gives right. a damn? Um, she certainly won't. <laughs> nor nor will the uh, bosses and politicians who are running things. So they're not the root of all evil. Um, they're also not our saviors. They're politicians. And sometimes they're going to do bad stuff uh, because the system we live in is completely broken for normal working yeah. class people. And so you can't expect a broken system to produce perfect results I mean and so
1: yeah and I would say I would say that I place you know I have no no problem saying Nancy Pelosi Chuck Schumer Joe Biden sold these rail workers oh out. absolutely absolutely um, and, whether
0: you want to go that far with certain individual legislators right. I think it gets but murkier leaders, and I'm not sure yeah. how much it matters
1: yeah but these leaders and, and then even Pramila Jayapal who it, who oh yeah sell totally out know, like the idea that that she led her caucus to do this as opposed to leading her caucus to oppose any TA that didn't include the seven days. That just totally does not make sense to me. Um,
0: but it does match up with some of her behavior so far as yeah. uh chair of the progressive caucus. Um, I also, and again, I don't follow that stuff super deeply cause right. I don't, I think it's a lot of palace intrigue, but you know, yeah, it's not, this isn't the first time that she has, um, I don't know if betray is the right word because I don't know. Um, but, you know, betray progressives.
1: And I also wanted to tack on an addendum to the bit where we were talking about, um, you know, wh- what online lefties might call the normies switching from Republican to Democrat and mm-hmm. vice versa uh, because of the last person that betrayed them. Um, and to what extent unions are to blame for that narrow vision, um, because according to the reporting that, that I'm getting from, from, you know, like, folks like Jonah Furman in his newsletter you know he he said that quote they chose an inside strategy that retired that relied on entirely on Joe Biden doing the right thing you know they kept Pushing and pushing and pushing this date so that it would get out of the Trump presidency, and then as soon as Joe Biden, you know, there was no mobilization up to the strike dates. There were no rallies. There were no informational right. picketing. There was no there. There was no nothing. It was just like the leadership of these unions really just expected Joe Biden to give them a good contract. And
0: they're they they are absolutely culpable in this.
1: Yeah, they it's, absolutely it's, are. Yeah, um, and and so and and like. That should not have been the strategy from the union. The strategy from the unions should have been mobilizing and galvanizing their rank and file and saying, you know, Joe Biden is the better enemy, but he's still our enemy. And we have to, you know, mobilize in, in that fashion and and as opposed to taking these, you know, crazy photo ops with a terrible TA that that uh, surely they knew that their members were going to vote down. And then in fact, their members did vote down. But Joe Biden got that photo up. Marty Walsh got that photo up. And yeah. and it, it it's just, it, it's bizarre. And so th- then it becomes incumbent on, you know, rank and file workers to build, uh, you know, to, to build their unions into things that can fight and can oppose Republicans and Democrats. Right. Yeah.
0: Because they, I mean, you're hitting on something there. There are going to be people and there already are, are people who are doing that. Well, the Democrats screwed me, so I'm going to vote Republican. Just yeah. like there are people... I feel certain on the, in the rail industry right now who are thinking, my union kind of uh, dropped the ball. I, I should probably drop right. my membership. Right. What's the point? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's very easy for folks to be disgruntled and disillusioned and get into that trap. Um, you know, I think that's, that's something we're going to have to mind for. And I do agree that the unions have some culpability there. Uh, in terms of the education and organization of their membership, mm-hmm. if that's folks first response, you know, that's not good. Right, <laughs> um, But, you know,
1: and I mean, they may the be same questioning, that...
0: they, they may be, you know, the thing is, though, if union leaders are going to be tiptoeing on how they approach because they don't want the membership questioning them. Mm. And so at this point, union leaders In this case specifically, but also in general in the United States, so much of union leadership is disconnected from membership and is so associated with the Democratic Party establishment in D.C. that they're almost inseparable. And so to critique one brings critique to the other. And I I think there's I mean, the 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 thing that stood out to me that you took. Well, that you told me about. Uh, was That was reported by Jonah Furman mm-hmm. was that um, a, Liz Shuler's call with folks across the sta- uh, country, with labor leaders across the country, where Liz Shuler was carrying water for this, Yeah, trying to defend this, a deal that doesn't have sick leave in the year 2022, uh, Yeah, a deal that was on track to be imposed against the Democratic will of their own members. That's, you know, that's pretty shameful. And and so there's a lot of blame to go around. The people who are uniquely fixating on the squad or whatever, I think that's either um, misplaced or just for engagement and popularity. And because it's it's the um, it's the thing that might get them some clicks or something. Honestly, I think that's a lot of the narrative is driven by that. Uh, and people get, you know, sucked into it. But remain critical of all politicians because they do not work for us. They're supposed to... We have to try to make them work for us, and occasionally we can get results, Um, but only through collective action and collective movement.
1: Yeah. Um, Adam, do you want to hit on this uh, this stuff that you've prepared about... um,
0: Political political engagement? Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, actually, I, I... don't think I want to do that uh, just because we've we've covered some of this ground today and okay. um, I don't want to beat a dead horse, so to speak. So I think maybe maybe next week uh, I'll get into it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do have some stuff prepared about political engagement in Alabama, the lack thereof, <clears throat> what folks are saying about this, because I even asked some folks um, asked around in my network. Why do you think we have such low political engagement in Alabama? What could change that? So I've I've written about that and what are some of my thoughts about how to proceed, uh, which have been shaped in part by, you know, some of the conversations we had today uh, with Harvey J.K. and Alaminsky. So, yeah, we'll save that for another time. Uh, But I know a lot of people are having these these discussions right now about Mm -hmm. what do we do, how do we relate to Democrats? I'm thinking of it in a more Alabama sense, but we're, you know, we're all thinking these questions and um, I know it's it's something that we're going to just keep keep plugging away at. There is no magic answer, I don't think Um, my fallback is always an all of the above answer that everybody should be doing whatever it is that they think they can do and should be doing. Um, whether if, right. You know, if if that means they need to go operate inside the Democratic Party and they can do some good for working class people there, then knock yourself out. Um, I'm skeptical of that and uh, think there are probably better ways to do it, but it takes all kinds and all places and all spaces trying to make things better. So, um, yeah, I would encourage folks to find what it is that you can do and how you can contribute in whatever way that is small as it may seem you contributing to something is probably going to make you feel better uh than bitching and moaning about people yeah. on twitter
1: <laughs> yeah for sure well then with that we'll go ahead and, and wrap up right adam
0: yeah that's, All right. that's fine uh and uh excited we got some cool stuff coming later this month yep. uh got some good guests lined up uh, we
1: are gonna be doing our first uh best of we're not gonna be we're not gonna be live on the 24th and we're not gonna pre-tape this is the first time that we've ever done a not totally new like every week isn't that bonkers we've been on the air for a year and a half <sighs> and every single week we've released new content yeah um, we, it, either we're taking christmas off y'all yeah, so. uh so, we are, uh, so So give us ideas for best ofs. Give us ideas for best ofs. Uh, you can text it to us, 844-899-TVLR. That's 844-899-8857. You know, you can send it to our Facebook, Twitter DMs, all that good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, send us, what is your favorite interview that we've done, favorite segment, favorite YouTube clip? Send your ideas to us. Absolutely.
0: And really appreciate it, y'all. Thanks for everyone who uh, tuned in today, everyone who liked and shared and subscribed and uh, you know, We'll have most of this clipped up and released in, on YouTube in the days ahead. And feel free to share that on social media. Send it to folks. Um, let us know what you thought.
1: All right, folks. And with that, we'll see you next week.